Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of No Names All Game. Today is Wednesday, November 18th. My name is Chris Hankin, joined as always by my co-host Pat Calicchio. And if you are a listener of this show, you know that before this season, I made one promise to you. I made one single promise. I said, this is the year. This is the year we are going to be consistent. We are going to get episodes out Monday mornings for you guys to listen to. Win, lose, no matter what. Um... We're losing a lot, and that promise has been broken. We are 0-4 after a brutal loss to Nebraska. Um, this is the point where we would cue the sad music, but it's been like five days, so thanks for everyone who liked the sad music, but I don't know if I'm not really super sad right now. Maybe we'll find some time to put it in later. Pat, how you doing, man? Yeah, um, I mean, I, in our defense, I think we're doing better than the team. <laughs> I guess they're more consistent than us. Yeah, they but. are consistently losing, true. But yeah, I think I think our performance has been slightly better. We're doing okay. Um, and if, yeah. if we do end up doing sad music this week, I'll suggest uh, maybe Mad World, Gary Ooh. Jules. <laughs> okay, you know what? Yeah, I'm, there's going to be plenty of us for plenty of time in this episode for us to be sad and angry and mad. So that'll that'll get in there at some point. Um, Pat, congratulations on being promoted to music supervisor of the show. Um, that comes with a zero dollar raise because we don't make <laughs> any money. Um, but we are here. Uh, we're zero four for the first time since two thousand and one. Uh, we have never started zero five in program history, so that'll be a fun topic for this week's preview show as we take on Iowa. But let's start. Let's start with Nebraska. Um, it was a game they coming in. We were 0-3. They were 0-2. We kind of thought, all right, this this will be the turning point for us. Didn't really, even though we were only a couple point favorite, I didn't think there was a chance we were going to lose this one. Um, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> so we'll get into a lot of the specifics. But what's your overall takeaway? What are you What are you feeling right now? Um, I mean, we just, in my opinion, we really don't have a legitimate quarterback. Um, I'll, I'll get into it a little bit later, but like Sean Clifford right now is the, the guy who I think has the highest ceiling also has the lowest floor. And the only other guy we've seen, I don't think is a legitimate answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, maybe he, I could be, I could totally be wrong. There were some flashes there, but like, I don't think he's the answer going forward either. Yeah, we'll get into the quarterback controversy because clearly there is one at this point. Um, but let's let's start with our let's start with our awards as usual. We'll give out our lion and our lamb. We'll get into some Twitter questions. We have some that are a little bit more tactical about this game and this this moment in time, uh, and then some that are a little bit more high level, like hey, where's where's the future of this program? Um, we do have some fun and positive things to take away, like. Yeah, we're 0-4, but now, even more so than last week, now expectations are just completely out the window. Like, I don't have expectations, so I'm just going to try to enjoy and, and take the fun away from it. Not take the fun away from it, take the fun out. I, you know what I'm saying. I'm gonna, I personally am going to enjoy the fun things. Um, but let's start with the awards. Who is your lion this week, most valuable player, and an ugly, unfortunate loss? Uh, I'll go Pat Frymuth. Uh He had some, you know – like 110 yards on seven catches and had some real big, like real big moments on mm-hmm. like, you know, some third down catches, things like that. I, I thought he looked great. You know, that's really it. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he had the one, it was a long of 74 and he got tripped up like at the one yard line, which sucked because I wanted him to score there. Um, but yeah, I think it's important for Pat to continue to play well. Like obviously, you know, we know he's not opting out at this point. It's not going to happen. He said that, um, Seven for one thirteen is nice, but yeah, he's you know he is he is proving himself to be 
tight end one or a first round draft pick. Um, and I still think he will be like, I don't think this, I don't think this changes this. I think, you know, scouts know who he is and what he's capable of, but I would like to see him end his career with Penn state on a very high note. So uh, yeah, good things there. Um, I've consistently given it to, I think Parker Washington or Jahan Dotson. So I'm going to flip it other side of the ball. My line this week is going to be Brandon Smith. Uh, okay. linebacker. Um, do I think he's playing like lights out linebacker? Not completely. Um, but I think he's getting better. Uh, he's a guy that we have a lot of high hopes for. Um, and this game with six total tackles had, uh, he was in there for a tackle for loss and had, I believe an interception. Um, so it was fun to see that. Not, not a great day defensively. We got up 30 points to Nebraska. Um, but you know, it's, it's something positive to take away. So Brandon Smith, you, on my line. Uh, yeah, let's go. I f- the defense was good in the second half. Yeah, and we have some questions on that. We'll get to that. I have a, I have a theory, or or maybe a, maybe a, a hot take on that, but we'll get to that. Um, lamb, do you have a lamb? Do you have an individual lamb, or are we just going full on everyone? Sean Clifford again. Uh, I mean, we lost this game by seven points, and he gave Nebraska ten points. Like it through no one else on the team. Sean Clifford gave Nebraska 10 points. Yeah, that, I mean, that first interception was just brutal. Um, it was just a really, really bad throw. Um, lucky that That it might only... be his worst interception of the year. That might be worse than the screen pass. Because I mean, Dotson he, was open. He had a clean pocket. Dotson mm-hmm. was open. And it was wildly inaccurate. Like, at least it was to the, the defender. Yeah, like the, the Friermuth interception week one, that was just an overthrow. Sure. Like, this was an overthrow and just, like, wildly behind him. Yeah, I mean, that has to be many yards out the other way in front of him towards the sideline, and it goes directly to the defender who, again, thankfully doesn't take it to the house, and they stopped him. I believe they held him to a field goal on that one. Yeah. Um, but then the you know second game in a row where he takes a sack, fumble, and they take it to the house. Um, I, I think it was one person. Like, the one person sacked him, scooped it up, took it to the house, um, if yeah. I'm remembering correctly. And it was just like one of those moments where you're just like, this is, this is ugly. I tweeted out. I was like, I was like, James, like, please stop. You're killing him. Like take it out for his sake. Um, someone tweeted at me like, yeah, and you're killing us. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how I'm killing you, but all right, man. Um, yeah, it's tough, man. I, and I really, really do feel bad for Cliff. Um, we've beaten up on him. You know, obviously the media is, is everyone's maybe questioning. James Franklin was killing us. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I, I wrote back. I was like, yeah, sorry, man. I'll do better. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but I do, I feel bad for Cliff. Cause like we said, like you can see he is like, uh, you know, he's a very personal guy. You can tell the team loves him. His teammates love him. Like you, you want him to be the guy that we need him to be. And unfortunately it's just not five for eight, 37 yards an interception. And then that sack fumble, uh, for, for a touchdown. So Cliff, I love you, buddy. We'll get more into this quarterback controversy in a minute. Cause I think we have some, some Twitter questions on that, but just, just not good. Um, I don't know if I have a particular one other than that. Um, just everyone, every, uh, you know what? No, let me, you know what? I got this. I got this. I've, I don't know if I've done this yet this year, but I do it at least once a year. Uh, I am the lamb this week, Chris Hankin. I am a lamb. Um, beginning of this year, we talked about how it's going to be so funny to watch, uh, Rutgers versus Illinois in that division crossover of the worst and the worst or it's gonna be hilarious to see northwestern over there when they're you know those teams really suck and it's gonna be the toilet bowl and i said that and i laughed and i joked and i mocked um so i'll take that i i, I take that karma uh oh and four staring me in the face potentially on five uh saying ha 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 you are going to be in that toilet bowl so chris hankin you're a lamb this week 
<sighs> that hurts, man. That hurts. Um, is that what it feels like when we give players a win? Jeez. Maybe. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's I, get into I reciprocate it. and give myself one, but my tally site picks were so good again this week. Did you cut? I, I suck. I'm, I still forgot to put them in. Um, tally site. Uh, no, 62%, baby. You got to start making some of these bets. Um, yeah, tally site. Shout out to them. Not an official sponsor, but uh, they are a place where you can go and get information and make picks. Uh, maybe I'll start doing that to have some fun. Maybe just look at my picks and start using yeah. them. <laughs> true. Very true. Um, well, all right. Let's, well, Pat let's... is 73 and 44. That, like I said, if you're actually putting money on those games, you are running yourself a nice little business. So starting thinking about that. Um, all right, let's get into some of the Twitter questions. Like I said, there's a lot of there's a lot of high level ones. Um, but let's let's start with the quarterback. Uh, this comes from Mikey Moves at Mikey Moves Eleven. Said um, it's not more of a question, but more of a statement. But I like it. He said. I went back and forth with this. I think you have to start Will Levis Saturday with a short leash. Cliff is on standby. I really appreciate James Franklin loyalty, but Cliff was just not ready to start the season for whatever reason. He's a good kid, but not helping us win. Um, a lot of questions and comments and everything in, in Twitter um, had that similar sentiment. So we just talked about it a little bit, but let's fully unpack this. Um, where do you stand? Is, is, is Clifford done? Is he you know, is he on standby? Is, is it fully the Will Levis show? If you're, if you're James Franklin, where are you going right now? Um, I, I think it's hard to say because, like I said, I think Sean Clifford is the guy who, you know, if both, both these guys played to their full potential, I think Sean Clifford is, like, significantly better than Will Levis. However, he's all, right now he's significantly worse. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't like the way that the offense seems really one-dimensional under Levis. But under Sean Clifford, it's currently zero-dimensional. So it's like, you, you have the guy who should be better but isn't. And, like, do you ride it out until he gets better? I don't know. Like, at this point, the season's kind of already over. So maybe you should. Maybe that kills him. Um, I think the, like, the only way to go is to make it just, like, a legitimate quarterback battle in practice now. Be like, there is no starter. Whoever wins this week is our starting quarterback. Yeah, that's kind of what James Franklin said. So he had a press conference yesterday. I think he has another one ongoing right now. Um, we probably should time these better to, to get notes from that. Uh, but from the one yesterday, they asked him. And he said, you know, he goes, uh, obviously no decision has been made. Said Will has done some things that he's earned consideration, but Sean has a history of doing great things. Basically just being very wishy-washy, not saying what he's going to do, um, which is like it pisses people off that he won't just say something. But at the same time, I get it. Um I, I was screaming for Taquan Roberson. A lot of people were. Um, it should I, be a three-man battle. Yeah, I mean, this and this is the difference between, like, us as fans and coaches in the industry. It's like they, they look at it being like, okay, Sean's our guy. Will has a ton of experience. He's up next. Roberson maybe isn't ready yet or, or you know, throwing yeah. him in would be pet, would be a bad thing for him. But We're not watching practice. He might have, like, no grasp of the offense currently. Right, all right, which is totally fine. But if he's, like – showing like any signs of like promise fucking throw him in there like i'm like for me personally and and i said this in a couple of my videos like i'm sure will levis is fine i think he's probably good i think he has a he has a big arm he's a a bit more of a powerful runner but like like you said we know what the offense is he rushed the ball 18 times like yeah he threw it 31 which was nice to see and, and he made a couple of really nice throws some people were saying like he made nfl level throws and he made some crazy throws look amazing I didn't quite get that from him. Um, but I don't see like a huge difference from 
Clifford to Levis, it's like, okay, you get basically the same kind of thing with a little bit of variables. Um, I mean, that's how it was, you know, when, when, when it was the, the Cliff and Tommy Stevens battle, like we, we, we kind of thought like, all right, what's the difference going to be? Who's going to have the edge? And we thought maybe Tommy would take it, but then Cliff went, I'm like, all right, well, they're kind of similar. And I don't really feel like we lost or gained a whole lot. Like I probably would have been happy either way. Like now it's kind of the same and it's, it's not, I'll be happy either way. It's I'm going to, I'm going to feel the same way of like, we don't really have a quarterback who is commanding the offense, driving the ball downfield, putting us in positions to win. Um, so that's why I'm screaming for, for take on Roberson, but obviously they know a little bit more than I do. Um, that being said, I, do you think, do you think Franklin trusts Clifford out there to start this game against Iowa? God. Um, I honestly, no, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I, it became pretty clear that Sharaka had almost no faith in uh, Levis to pass unless they had to. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, they maybe ran like five or six passing plays that weren't third or fourth down. When he first yeah. came in, when he first came in, especially, I'm sitting on my couch with friends, and like, no matter what formation they were lined in up, no matter what, I was like, "Hey guys, watch, watch, watch! I bet you he's going to run it. I bet you what Levis is going to run it. I bet you Levis is going to run." And he just kept running. It's like that's. It was not, crazy like, to me that the run game got better with Levis in there, not just with him, with the running backs. Yes, yes, which I don't fully understand, and someone who knows X's and O's maybe break that down for us, because um, the running backs did look did look pretty decent. But yeah, I like I I don't feel like there's really the threat there, and it's like. This is the whole, like, this is the Taysom Hill thing that everyone tries to kind of um, emulate. Is like, okay, he's a serious runner, but you got to respect his pass because we're going to throw that 50-yard bomb. And, like, sure, Taysom Hill does that once in a while, and that's why it works for the Saints. Like, with, with He's also not Tom- their starting quarterback. Right, of course, of course. <laughs> and that's why, it worked, that's why I think it worked when we had Tommy Stevens in the line because he could step up and throw that 50-yard bomb. Like, every time Levis snaps the ball, I think he's going to run it. And sure, there's yeah. times where he passes. And like I said, he had some success in, in the air. Like 14 for 31, not great. But he had that big one to Fryermuth, uh, 219 yards. I got to be honest with you. That, that bomb to Fryermuth, if he's not wide open, that's not a great ball. True. Like if, if he has a man on him, that's possibly intercepted. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, like I said, I, I don't love Levis as a quarterback. And, I, and more, more importantly, like I think this is, this is like the struggle in college football in general is – you go through these these cycles of the really, really great teams have a superstar quarterback who takes them through probably two seasons, then goes to the NFL, and you have somebody on deck ready to go who is the heir apparent. It's what we're seeing right now at Clemson, right? It's Trevor to DJ. It's what we've seen at Ohio State for how many years? It's what we've seen at Alabama, right? It just happens. For us, and then somebody asked me, like, why, like, why don't we get the big QB commits? Or like, why don't we, why can't we find that person? Like for the last however many years, it's been that loyalty thing of like, we're going to go with our guy until it's, until we absolutely can't anymore or until we absolutely aren't allowed to, or he can't go. Like it took Hackenberg getting injured in that was tax layable to finally give Trace a shot when let's be realistic. What Trace was allowed to do with his career, he might've been better than Hackenberg at times. Um, it, it, you know, it took Trace graduating to really give Tommy or Sean a shot and, Tommy transferred because he was like, I don't want to sit around anymore. I want to play. Um, like it, it seems like the, this loyalty and, and, you know, that's kind of Franklin's we've talked about Achilles heel is like, it, it's like, I don't know if we're going to see Daquan Roberson anytime soon because 
Levis has how many years of eligibility, right? That's why Michael Johnson Jr. transferred. Like we have quarterbacks that are coming in and it just seems like it's this, this log jam of four or five quarterbacks constantly where one guy's going to play for three years. And even if he's not lights out, no one else is going to get a chance. And that's worrisome. Yeah. Well, it's also like they, they see these guys in practice every day. And my guess is the overwhelming amount of the time, the guy who's the starter has a much better grasp of the offense in practice. It's making better throws in practice. And as a coach, if you see that guy go out and struggle, what do you think the guy's going to do who's not practicing as well? Like, do you really have the confidence that, like, oh, no, yeah, this guy who doesn't look as good in practice is going to go out and blow the doors off of this guy who does? Yeah, well, I mean, and that, I think you're, yeah, you're right, obviously, but that goes back to then, like, not having enough competition in the quarterback room. When you bring in these, the same kind of guy, you think about the last, I mean, since Hackenberg, all of these quarterbacks have been fairly similar. Um, well, maybe not Hack, because everyone after him can run, and he couldn't. Um, but, like, Trace to Tommy to Cliff to Levis, like, all of these guys are good enough passers who, quote-unquote, can run, and, like, you kind of try Struggle to build the offense around that. Yes, yes. I love Trace to death. Not the most accurate guy in the world. Uh, the best best TikTok quarterback of all time. Maybe not the most accurate. Uh, but, like, all of these guys have been fairly similar, and they're gamers, and they're three stars who panned out. I'm like, why don't we have the five-star? Why didn't we have Justin Fields commit? Why didn't we have a shot with Caleb Williams this year? Maybe it's some of that. Maybe it's that, like, hey, Penn State, their system is they're just going to keep riding these guys over and over and over again. Even if I'm a five-star lights-out freshman, I don't know if I would start right away. I don't know if I would be able to compete for two years, and I don't want to waste my time. That's worried, worrisome to me. That being said, I do think we see Levis go out uh, this week. I, I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can track Cliff out there because then how long do you let him go until you pull him again? And then it's, like, really, really bad. So I think you let Levis go. You, you play him basically the whole game unless he gets injured. It's knock on wood. Don't want that. Um, but, like, you can't, you can't just be going back and forth, going back and forth. you got to commit to something. Let it ride. Uh, more as far as this season goes, it's the Will Levis show. I agree. I, I mean, like I said, I would prefer Roberson to see, like, he's, a, what, a sophomore, redshirt freshman. Like, I would love to see, like, if he brings something different. But I'm not a coach on the field. All right, a couple other questions. Um, tactically, and then we'll get into high level. Uh, most of these are defense. Actually, no, one more offense. CJ, our good friend, CJ Scalzetti, uh, said if there was ever a year to completely shit the bed, this is probably the best year in light of everything to do so. I agree. Uh, I said, how much of the poor red zone play can you attribute to poor play calling versus limited playbook on what Levis can do successfully? I, I go with more of what he can do successfully. Because, like, I mean, to be honest with you, like, he didn't look like that great of a throw. I mean, he's under 50%. Um, you know, it just, it, there was nothing. Maybe he made some some good throws, but for the most part, I, I, to me, it, was, it just wasn't like, oh, yeah, this is our guy. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been atrocious in the red zone all season. Um, so there's a really good article on Lions 24-7. I believe it's Tyler Donahue who wrote it. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. He, he had an article, like, nine stats that tell the story of our 0-4 start. And there's a, there's a lot of them. <laughs> they're, they're all really bad, to be honest. But the red zone one, uh, we are 8 of 19 uh, red zone touchdown oh. rate. 19 trips to the red zone, eight of them have turned into touchdowns, which is really, really bad. Uh, for comparison, that puts us at a 42%. So in the red zone, touchdown rate, 42%. In James Franklin's career at Penn State, his first year in 2014 was 43%. So about where we are right now. In that first year when nothing was going right, we weren't very good. Every year after that, it climbed up 55, 55, 
peaked in 2017 at 78%. 78% of the time in the red zone, we were scoring a touchdown, then went down to 73, down to 71, and now we are at 42. Um, that is not the, not the type of trend that wins you ball games and gives you faith in your confidence. Um, to CJ's question, I think, uh, I think our offense as a whole just hasn't been gelling, hasn't been working. So it's like once you get into the red zone, there's, 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 not, an, there's not a ton to kind of fool them with. Um, there's not a lot that they're not expecting. Uh, and our play calling has been really vanilla. We're like we've talked about it, these, these back corner fades while in the red zone. Third, third and third and goal QB draw. Like that, that's not surprising anyone. Like you're not going to get him with that. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if it's Shiraka just being scared. If it's him not knowing what to do with the talent. I, I don't know because like I, theoretically we should have enough talent to convert those. Um, Although in all fairness, one of those back corner fades should have worked. If I think Parker Washington was facing the right direction. Yes. Yeah. I, I, that's, and that's the thing. I, I don't even, I can't even get caught up in it. Cause like, I just like, I ne- when we get in the red zone, I am never confident at this point that we're going to, you know, I hate that play though. Yeah, of course. It's trash. Um, so it's not great. Um, so yeah, CJ, I wish I had a better answer for you. I don't know exactly what the reasoning is, um, but I don't like it. I'll tell you that much. Um, all right, let's go to defense. Um, we've had a couple, you mentioned before defense gets better in the second half and, and there was a lot of, a lot of comments. So I, I tweeted out, um, uh, like, let's say something nice about Penn State football because we were really bad. And tons of comments. So thank you for everyone who, who replied to that. That actually brought some spirits up. But a lot of people said that. Uh, defense looked better in the second half. So we have a question from Jim Gibson. says, why are the defense adjustments coming late, usually at halftime? What's your take on that? I mean, that's generally just when adjustments come. Because they, like the the coordinators, they don't just like look at the box and go, "Hey, what's going on?" They come in at halftime and they talk to the players, like, "Okay, what are they doing out there that I'm not seeing?" And like the line will say, "Well, they're lining up in this tech, and like this this tech isn't working, things like that." So like these things have to come at halftime because they communicate with the players. Um, the other thing is, I mean, aside from two horrendous turnovers, the defense gave up 20 points. That's not that bad. I think that's bad. And here's this, this is what I was saying. This is my hot take alert. Um, so, I, so I agree with you saying, sure, they talk to the players at halftime, but you talk to the players after every series. Now you're not gonna you're not gonna get a full picture. You're not gonna be able to make changes that quickly. But one, I think you need to have a much better game plan coming in, so you don't have to wait till halftime to make adjustments. And two, you should be able to be getting a feel for it before halftime. Second piece on this, I have a lot of pieces. I should have wrote them down. <laughs> um, second piece on this. Uh, Sure, sure, we look better in the second half. We've been trailing pretty bad at half every game, right? It's been a close game at least. Like when you're trailing, teams start to let off a little bit, play a little bit more conservatively, try to kill some clock. Of course, the defense is going to look better. Like, I don't like, yes, there are some things that we're changing and doing better, but also I don't think it's like, it's not like night and day where all of a sudden second half comes and we are playing lights out. Um, second thing on defense, um, a lot of people say defense looks fine just because of turnovers. Um, like you mentioned, uh, you take away the field goal off of the first interception yeah, and the fumbled TD. Um, I counted 17. Maybe it was 20. I'm not sure. Um, but we let up 17 or 20 points. One of those was a touchdown coming on two plays. Two plays. Um, that's not great. Also, we have let up scores on opening drives in three of our four I, games. I thought it was every game. Indiana did not score. It was the only first one. They didn't score on their first two drives, um, and then they got a field goal. 
but obviously we lost the game anyway. Uh, let's go through them. Ohio State, opening drive, three plays, 75 yards, touchdown, one minute and 17 seconds. Maryland, six plays, 75 yards, touchdown, two minutes and 33 seconds. Nebraska, 11 plays, 75 yards, touchdown, three minutes and 35 seconds. That tells me, like, sure, you made adjustments at halftime or you got better in halftime. That tells me you don't have a game plan. Like you, you, or you have a game plan, but you're not, you're not ready to play. And I'm not blaming the players. I don't know if I'm blaming the coaches. I don't know who the hell I'm blaming, but like, everyone's like, well, we look better in the second half. We look better in the second half. Okay. If you look better in the second half of a game, shouldn't that translate then into the next game? Shouldn't you be building on those wins? Shouldn't you have a better plan going into the next game? Like that's, it, it just doesn't feel good. So like, yeah, I think there's a lot of good things on our defense, but I think this conversation of like, well, we turn it around and, and we keep ourselves in the game and it's all because of the offensive turnovers. Yeah, you take those turnovers away, these are a lot closer and we probably win a couple games. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not as blindly confident in the defense as I once was. Oh, for sure. This is the worst defense I've seen. Yeah, and I mean, you take away Michael Parsons, you're, you're young at a lot of positions. It, it, it happens, I guess, but... I think I was hopeful for more. Um, this is another conversation or another question that we get a lot of. Uh, this one from Jeffrey Wallace, Jr. said, do you think Brett Pry will be let go at season's end? I personally think it's time for a change of defensive coordinator. Many times over the last several years, his defenses has started sluggish against inferior opponents, given up big leads to elite teams. Time for him to go. What do you think? I, I, did, I just don't see anyone getting fired because of like the season that 2020 is. Yeah. Um, Although, I mean, like, let's be honest, if we go winless, somebody's got to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you can't just, like, pretend that that's not, you know, that's such an, an anomaly that you can go winless. Um, and, like, to be honest with you, like, I, I think I've said it for a couple of weeks now, it seems like the recipe to beat Brent Pry's defense is just quick passes. And, it, yeah. like, we, our pass rush has been almost non-existent this season because they just get – teams just get rid of the ball quickly. Or, like, mm-hmm. if, you know, if you're Ohio State, they just have a good enough offensive line, then it's fine. You know, it's just. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, so, like, here, here's my take on Brent Pry. I, I love Brent Pry. I've always loved Brent Pry. Um, and our defenses have historically been pretty good. Um, defensive line has been a strength under Sean Spencer. Consistently 40-plus sacks. We've had – we've worked linebackers even when we didn't have, like, the highest talent. Like, it, it's worked. Um, our secondary has been questionable at times. but maybe all the time, <laughs> but like defense has worked. Our defense has been good enough to get the big stops when we need. Sure. They let up some plays, but like our offense is prolific enough to outscore them. That's sort of been our, our method for a while. And I don't have the stats. I don't know how many points average we're letting up per game. Um, but do I, do I think there's time for a change? Yeah, maybe. Um, like we talk, we talk about like one sack a game at this point. Yeah. It's, and, and that's, I mean, that's a whole conversation is, is there a drop off from, Sean Spencer to John Scott. I mean, it's, it's a weird year, so it's hard to pinpoint anything. And Franklin said that Franklin said in, in his Tuesday press conference said in retrospect, this season wasn't the season to have coaching turnover. He goes, it's not an excuse, but you know, th- this is kind of tough. Uh, saying kind of like he would have loved to have Troutwine have more time with his guys, have John Scott have more time with the guys. Um, I, I get it, but like, come on. Um, so like, yeah, we, we've changed position coaches a lot. We've, we've gone through some offensive coordinators now. Um, but Brent Pry has been sort of the mainstay um, on the defensive side. Him, Terry Smith are, I think, the two longest tenured over there. Um, 
I don't know. I if it's going to happen, I don't know if it'll happen this year. But if next year isn't like considerably better, I could see it happening in a similar way that Ronnie happened. Because Franklin and Pry are so damn close. They are like family. They've been together for a long time. Um, Brent Pry has had a couple of opportunities for head coaching jobs a while back. Not big programs, but like I think it was like a Georgia Southern or something. Um, I, I could see it happening in a way like that where he takes he takes another role. So it's not we're firing him. It's like Brent is moving on to something else. Now you have a chance to bring someone else in. Um, I think you make a good point. I don't know if anything's going to happen this year just because like with Corona, that's kind of a bad look. Yeah. I mean, Corona shortened season. And it's like, I mean, we've looked at like the defensive rankings of Penn state through James Franklin's career and they've mm-hmm. been really high. You know, when we did that, like, yeah. when we had uh, what's his name from pick six on. Yep. Uh, Penn yep. State's defense, and like, and there's part of you that goes, how could you possibly fire a guy that's coordinating defenses that are like top 10 in the country every year? Right. Exactly. And, and like I said, I think, I think some of it has been defenses have been good and our offense has been above average to great. So it hasn't really mattered when we have those somewhat bad performances, game to game kind of thing. Now, I mean, we're bad everywhere. So you can't really, you can't really just point on Brent Pry. but I do think this season more than any, our defense is getting exposed for, for some of the flaws it has, has had all the time. Um, you mentioned that the D line is, is not exactly what we'd want. Um, I thought OA made some nice plays. Uh, it sucks that we're going to probably lose him next year. Um, but like, yeah, I, I don't think Brent probably gets fired at the end of this year, but it wouldn't shock me if sometime between this year and next year, you see him go to take on a head coach job at a lower level program. Uh, next one from Brian Kilkelly. Kilkelly? Kilkelly. I don't know. Brian, I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. I uh, said hypothetical. Post-game win expectancy. Uh, shout out to ESPN Bill C. Uh, the post-game win expectancy for Indiana and Nebraska lead you to believe that this team is statistically more likely to be two and two than zero oh and four. So I guess that means based on like how we performed and the numbers, like more often than not, we'd win those games. Um, as fans, how would you feel if Penn State was two and two with losses to Maryland and Ohio State? Would that make the season feel better or still bad? I mean, certainly better than zero and four. I can tell you that much. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but I would definitely still be like, I think the Maryland loss would hurt more because it's like how you know we're we're a winning team. How does how do we lose that bad to a team that bad? Um, so, but other than that, yeah, I'd feel better. But it still wouldn't be. It would it would be a season where I go, well, you know what? That's one crazy loss. We finish. We run the table. We finish up the season. Still a solid season. Yeah. But now I mean, it's just like now the season's an embarrassment. It, it would fall very much in line with our structure for many, many seasons. Lose once to Ohio State, lose one fluke loss to someone else, right? So say we open up, we beat Indiana, we lose to Ohio State, we have a down game, we lose to Maryland, come back, beat Nebraska around the table. You're like, hey, status quo, everything is good. Who told us this? I think maybe maybe the uh, maybe the walk-on red shirts guys have talked about how a blowout loss is better than a close loss because it, it makes you look in the mirror, right? It says, hey, yeah. we suck. We need to fix some things. Because he talked – yeah, I think it was the guy because he was talking about when Ohio State, like, got, you know, just absolutely demolished by Purdue. It was like, okay, you look in the mirror, you say, hey, we got to fix this, 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 this. When we lose to Ohio State by a point, back-to-back years or whatever, it's – it's you're not you're not looking at it as this is bad, we have to fix all these things. It's, oh, we're right there. We're right there. Um, so to Brian's question, would it make me feel better in the moment? Sure. Yeah. I'm like, oh, we're two and two. We got this. We just had a fluke loss to Maryland. But as we are 0-4, we take a step back and we're, we're looking at all the things that 
need to be changed and need to be fixed. And, and, you know, as a program, things that need to change, like maybe we need this, <laughs> maybe, maybe this is the, this, maybe this is the point in the Franklin era of Penn state that, Hey, this is the season that everything was crazy. We went, Oh, and however, and a lot of changes were made and things started turning for the better and got us over that hump to the playoff eventually, because like, let's be honest, the last couple of years, we've been damn close. Like, sure. We've lost these very close games to Ohio state. We've lost these quote unquote fluke losses. Well, it's not a fluke anymore, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, the other thing though, is the, the fluke losses of like the second loss every other year has never been to a team as bad as Maryland. No. And I mean, Maryland, like I said, Maryland looks better this year with, with uh, Talia and, and their whole thing that's going on. Uh, but that was, I thought this, I thought this loss to Nebraska was even worse, to be honest. I thought this was a team we should have manhandled. I, I think they're a worse team for sure. Um, all right. I think that's most of the questions we had. Oh, we've got one more question from good friend of the program, Brandon Beal. Um, so he asked about Franklin and Franklin's, uh, the word he uses, uh, opaqueness. Uh, basically how he's always kind of telling you what's going on. Not really. Um, he's very vague. He wears everything kind of close to the vest. And that's who he is. And that's what we've come to know. Um, a couple takeaways from his press conference on Tuesday uh, that we, we didn't get to. Talked about the no, no decision on quarterback left yet. Uh, he said the O-line is not set in stone, even though Caden Wallace is listed as right tackle and Fries is listed as right guard in new, the new depth chart. But he was still like, nope, that doesn't mean anything. We're still working on it. So, like, still kind of vague. Um, they asked him a lot of questions about, like, you know, what is it about this year? What is it about everything? And everything is like, well, you know, and he kind of goes into his speeches, which – Again, I've personally just come accustomed to. So Brandon's question is, at what point does Franklin owe the fan base some transparency rather than the usual runaround answers and, and kind of avoiding answers? Um, do you think he owes us anything? Do you think he owes sort of the, the media anything? Or do you think this is just who he is and how we're going to see it? Um, I think, like, as a fan, it would be a lot more satisfying if he told us something. Uh, you know, like there'd be a part of us to be like, if he just came out and said, yeah, I mean, Sean, Sean's just terrible this year. Like he, he just can't play. We'd all be, there's something about that that would feel good. There, there's yeah. a, a reason, yeah. but uh, like the guys in the locker room, like the way they're going to look at like you, he risks losing that whole team, not just for this season, but going forward for every guy who's in that locker room for the rest of the time they're there under him could never trust him again. And that's a huge problem if players don't trust their coach. So it's, I, I think it's unfortunately like the situation. And I honestly, I think there is a problem in this locker room right now. Uh, I think it's obvious from the product that's on the field. Um, I, did you listen to Pat Fryermuth's? I listened to like a clip of his interview today. He was talking about I don't like, think so. he, he, his thing was like, this, this team has to grow up. You can't blame this on youth. Uh, you know, we're dealing with distractions that we shouldn't. And this is not the first time we've heard about a player talking about distractions. Very so true. this leads me to believe that this is not just like boilerplate talk. I think there is a problem in this locker room. I don't know if it's between players. I don't know if it's between players and coaches or between coaches, but there's something going wrong. Cause there's no way a team that was 11 and two last year has been a consistent double digit winner, you know, loses like four guys and becomes Oh, and four against teams that they're way more talented than. Yeah. There's something yeah. seriously wrong in that locker room right now. And if Franklin comes out and just tells us what it is, it, that could like honestly blow up the whole program and his career as a Penn State coach for years. Yeah, yeah. So I think, I think you're right on a lot of that. I hope there's not something seriously wrong in the locker room as you described that. I think 
you're convincing me and I don't like that. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I think there, I think there's like, there's extremes and there's a way to do it, right? There's, there's no college coach who's going to say like, yeah, this player sucks. I benched him. I'm taking this guy instead. Like that just doesn't happen. Especially, especially not in this day and age, like go back, back to the nineties, maybe um, it's just not going to happen. Right. But there are coaches that I think are a little bit more direct with the media, a little bit more direct about like what the problems are, what they're working on and what they're focusing on. Um, and then there are more, some who are more vague. And I think Franklin falls to that far vague side. Uh, and I think that's some of the frustration, right? There's, there's like, hardly ever a time that he gives a very direct answer to any question that's asked of him. Um, medical stuff, I get, right? Somebody asked him, hey, what, what was up with uh, Tariq Castro-Fields? Why didn't he play this week? Uh, and he said, he goes, oh, he's medically unavailable. I'm like, oh, was it COVID? He goes, not going to talk about that. I'm good with that. I respect that. That's his policy on medical stuff. Totally understand. Um, but when you talk about like, hey, like who's progressing in, in this group or what's happening on the offensive line? Like, hey, we saw that Caden Wallace is listed as the starter and right tackle. And like his answer is, well, nothing's been decided yet. We're working on it. It just, it seems like, and it feels like, like they don't have their shit together, which I know is not the case, right? Like that's not the case. They are, they are a, I was about to say professional organization. <laughs> they're not, but the coaches are coaches for a reason. And they're, there are, this is what their job is. Like, I know that they are working on it. They have plans, whether the plans are working or not, different story. Like I, I know that they're not just sitting around doing nothing, but a lot of times when you get those sort of same runaround answers over and over and over again, that's what it starts to feel like. It's like, all right, do you really know what you're doing? Do you have a plan to fix this? Like wh where are we going? Um, so to Brandon's question, do I think anything changes? No, I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think that happens. I think the most direct we've ever seen him be is that infamous Ohio state speech of we are a great team, but we are not elite. And that was supposed to be the springboard that turned us around and got us to where we needed to be. And, and it did. Um, so I think this year is, is particularly weird. So you're not going to get many direct answers, but I don't see, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Does he owe it to us? No, he doesn't owe shit to us, to be honest. Like <laughs> I, I don't, I don't see that more than he owes us at the end of the exactly. day. Exactly. Exactly. So if things are, if things are copacetic in the locker room, if you're taking care of that family, I, I'm just a kid with a podcast, man. <laughs> That's it. So, yeah, I, I don't think it changes. Would I like to see a little bit more? Would I like – he's not going to say Sean Clifford sucks. Would I like him to come out and say, you know, Sean, Sean hasn't had it this year. Uh, it's not completely his fault. There's a lot of things we're working on. O-line's got to get better. Protection's got to get better. Our receiver's got to get better. And we are working on that as a team. This week we're going to go with Levis. I would love for him to say that. Because at least that shows me he knows what's wrong. He's working on it. He has a plan. He's holding the team accountable. Like that's a lot of times it feels like shit's wrong, but like no one's being held accountable, right? A lot of times he just talks about how I'm the head coach and falls on me and, and I'm working. Like, dude, sometimes it's okay to like speak out. And like I said, I don't think that's his style. I don't think that's the world we live in for college football much more for, for many programs. Um, but like, if you listen to some, if you listen to a Ryan Day press conference, he's a little bit more direct. If you listen to some of the other coaches in the Big Ten, I haven't listened to many, but like I follow, I follow a bunch of other schools, like blogs and stuff. So I'll see the clips. Some other coaches are a little bit more direct. And it's easy to be direct when you go undefeated every other season. Very true. <laughs> very true. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to change, but that's where we're at. Um, we didn't talk a lot about this actual particular game just because everything was bad and, and it was easier to talk about high level. Anything that you want to get into, we, we'll get into some positive takeaways, but anything you want to get into from Nebraska that we haven't done yet? Uh, one good thing I thought was this was, I think the first game of the year where we saw good safety play out of one safety. I thought Jaquan Brisker had a good game. A forced fumble, had like six tackles. Yeah. I thought he was playing up on the ball. 
I didn't see him like trailing and pass coverage, you know, like that late running over doing that. Um, good sign there. Yeah, I love it. Um, so like I said, I, I did put out that tweet of let's say something nice about Penn State football. Mine was Parker Washington is very good and I'm excited to watch him develop and grow into a first round pick. Um, I said, you know what? I said I wasn't going to read these all, but I, I, I made them shorter and just typed out notes. So you know what? Let's do this. Pat, give me Read a them good all, song. Baby. Give me a good song because we'll play some positive something. You don't, need to, right. you don't need it right now. You have some time to think. I'll put it in in post, as they say in the industry. Uh, but this is Say Something Nice about Penn State football. Let's start with the wide receivers. Parker Washington is very good. Jahan Dotson is the best thing to happen since Saquon Barkley. Jahan Dotson looking like a first-round pick. Moving on to the offensive line. They looked better in the second half. Pass pro was good until that final drive. Cut that part. Uh, they created some holes. They looked better today. I liked Wallace at right tackle. Moving on to Will Levis. He made some insane throws. Looked easy. He didn't turn the ball over. He looked good. Has quality spin moves. At times, it looked like Trace in his first bowl game, and that is encouraging. Moving on to the running backs. They broke some tackles. Kevon Lee is turning into a reliable runner. Isaiah Holmes is very good. I'm excited to watch him develop into a first-round pick. That person took my line. Just change the name. I appreciate it. Uh, with his size, strength, and speed, Kevon Lee is very good. and will also develop into a day one or two pick. I love getting ahead of ourselves here. Uh, Devin Ford is very good at pass protection. Also ran hard today. Appreciate that. Moving on to Pat Fryermuth and the tight end room. One of the greatest bail you out when you need it type of guys I've ever seen in Pat Fryermuth. That's an award you want to win. Will you win the Mackey this year? No, but guess what? You just won the one of the greatest bail you out when you need type of guys I've ever seen. Uh, and Brent Strange is going to be really good after he gets added into the passing game. Defense. Smith looks good at linebacker. Brandon Smith is playing very well. We'll make a nice part of the hashtag LBU legacy at PSU. Joey and Keaton could become great DBs. Defense has played well majority of the season, despite high point totals, mostly only allowed points of, of offensive mistakes, held Nebraska to only three points in the second half, more good D from Brisker and Ellis, and away is a beast. Some general takeaways. I am running out of breath. Hopefully there's a good song playing. Uh, general takeaways. Team outgained the opponent by a wide margin. Uh, again, meaning like yards and stuff. Uh, the fight never left the team. Second half gave hope. Future looks bright with the young running backs and wide receivers. This year's, quote, nine games, nine scrimmage games will be opportunities to make young players great. We are one of, if not the best, young receiving group in the nation. I don't know if I agree with that, the best, but this is positive hours, so let's take it. Uh, and then the last two, very, very, very articulate, very detailed. These are the, you say something nice about Penn State football. They said, there's a creamery within walking distance of the stadium. And the other person said they have nice uniforms. That was your positive Penn State minute. Probably a couple minutes, but uh, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Pat, what's all you going to put behind that? I got a couple suggestions you could choose from. Uh, one that might be a little too optimistic is uh, You Make My Dreams Come True by Hall & Oates. Ooh, I love that. Um, could also go with Here Comes the Sun by The Beatles. Okay. Or uh, Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys. Listen, any of those three. First, first half hour on the job as music supervisor, and you're doing damn good. Damn good. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously I just ran through those, but like anything in particular that you loved from this game that, that, that you did take away? Um, I mean, I, I kind of – nothing that I didn't already cover. Yeah, yeah. I thought exactly. the running backs looked better. Yeah, I, I really do. I think I, I'm excited to watch – uh, like I said, I, I think it'll be interesting because I don't think you go just to one guy at this point. I think all three are going to continue to play. Um, I'm a big Kevon Lee fan myself. Um, like I said, I don't want to write Devin Ford off because I think he's got a lot of potential still. Um, 
but but I'm 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 excited for Kevon Lee and Kaziah. Uh, so let's end it with we do have a voicemail. Our buddy Sweens checking back in. Um, let's see if we can get some sharing of the music. I forget how to do it always. Um, we might have cut part of this here. Oh, I gotta click it. That's what it is. There we go. Okay, here we go. All right, so let's end it there. Uh, that's a lot of positive, fun <laughs> stuff. Uh, we, we do have a uh, voicemail from our guy, Sweens. Uh, he kept it positive as well, which is why I saved it from the very end. Sweens, we appreciate this. Take us home. What's up, fellas? Sweens checking in. And after a few days and your guys' tweet, I've decided to only try to get positive outlooks and reasonable takes moving forward because the season is what it is. I was happy to see them really hit the run game hard, let some of our backs actually work in some open space and the line actually creating some holes. I was glad to see the defense actually take a little bit of pride in themselves and step up in the second part of the game. And while obviously nothing is where we need it to be, there are some signs that they may actually have a little bit of life in the second half of this season. So this is not saying we're happy, but it is saying that we can find some positives and we're going to see some light at some point in this season and moving forward. So we're keeping good energy. There's no reason to let 2020 destroy what we can for this team. So that's where I'm at, trying to keep that good spirit. Let's see where the season takes us. I love it. That is a long-time listener, long-time caller. Sweens, we appreciate the positive vibes. Uh, we got Iowa this week. We're looking to avoid going 0-5. For the first time in program history, we will have a pregame show for you sometime later this week. It's already Thursday by the time you're listening to this, so probably coming soon. Pat, any last word for the listeners as we wrap up here today? Yeah, at the end of the day, this team is talented enough to beat any team that we face going forward. Hopefully we put it together. That's it. Let's go 1-0 and this week. At least once this season. Uh, let's go 1-0 and this week. I love this team. I love these players. I love these coaches. We will be okay. And we are.